Let me, let me just begin, um, let me just begin with prayer. Lee, thank you for praying. I'm going to pray again. <laughs> Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather as your people, a people whom you have called uh, out of darkness into light. And many of us from other nations you have brought here. So, Father, give us ears to hear as you would speak to each one of us by your spirit this morning through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let me tell you about my friend, Pastor Vickelson. He uh, lives in central India uh, in a very remote village. It's rather hard to get to. Um, you have to drive through a stream to get to his village. I've been there four or five times, but uh, the story he tells is, is rather amazing. Uh, the village he lives in now is, is largely Christian, uh, and that's another history I'll go into another, at another time. But uh, he ministers in a, in a larger city uh, not far away, which is not Christian. About 15 years ago, uh, radical Hindus came into the area, stirred up trouble, and uh, put a bounty on Pastor Vickelson's head. Um, he and his family, uh, having learned of this, um, under cover of darkness, fled from their home with nothing but the clothes on their backs. They, um, they fled to the village where he now lives, uh, where his father owns property, and they built a home there. But he is still ministering in that other city. Uh, the, the radical guys left, and Pastor Vickelson had a good reputation among the native townspeople, such that they, they welcomed him back, and that church has now grown and multiplied to about a thousand members. Um, then there's Pastor Daniel, whom some of you may remember. He's with our prayer gathering a few months ago. He lives in Delhi one of the largest cities in the world, there is a network of cell groups or life groups or discovery groups, whatever you want to call them, uh, that, that gathers um, in, in, in Delhi. Pastor Daniel doesn't know how many are involved in these groups. It is such an extensive network, and most of them cannot attend church on Sundays because family issues, they come from Hindu and Muslim backgrounds. In fact, seven, about 70% of their membership come from Hindu and Muslim backgrounds. A couple of years ago, he wanted to have a gathering to, just to get everybody together because they, they can't all assemble on a Sunday morning. They rented a hall that would seat about 3,000. He said, that'll be enough. Much to his surprise, 10,000 showed up. God is moving among the nations. If you, read, uh, if you read any of the mission reports about the nation of Iran in these days, I'm not talking about the news headlines so much as what's happening uh, under the news. There, is, um, there are reports of massive revival happening there. Literally thousands of people turning to Christ. Parts of Africa where a lot of my colleagues in ELI work, and Francois, where is Francois? Planning to go, where are you? There he is, way in the back. Planning to go to Africa here, here in, a, in a few weeks. Uh, he'll be going, uh, my, our brother Joel McCall ministers there in south, uh, the border of, of uh, Uganda and South Sudan, where there's been a lot of conflict, as you know. A lot of warfare and a lot of believers have been killed. He ministers there, he ministers in Rwanda, which is still recovering from the genocide of the 1990s. Uh, he brings a message of, um, 
God's purpose is in suffering. And there is a lot of healing going on, a lot of reconciliation through the power of the gospel in those regions. A little closer to home, down at Georgia Tech, you know, we have 6,000 international students there, come from all over the world. And we're seeing many of them investigating the gospel. One of our sister ministries has seen numerous Chinese come to faith in Christ. And they've been baptized at a Presbyterian church in Midtown. The big picture is that people are coming to Christ every day of the year. Estimates uh, around 50,000 per week around the world coming to Christ. And I think that's a low number. Some estimate that over a million Muslims are converting each year. And in China, uh, there, by 2025, there will be more Christians in China than any other country. Did you know that? God is at work among the nations. And despite the headlines, which would have us think we're on the brink of World War III, uh, don't worry. God is on his throne, reigning over all the nations for his glory and for the good of his people. This Lord's Day, as we have gathered here, you know there are thousands of other gatherings of God's people all over the world worshiping the same God. Some of them in storefront churches, some in great cathedrals, some in living rooms, some in caves or under a tree. Some meet in, some meet in secret for fear of authorities. But in gatherings large and small, it is our same God who is being worshiped and his gospel is being proclaimed. So this morning I want us to look to turn to God's word and we're going to look at a psalm, a very missional psalm. You don't think of psalms when you think of missions too much, but this is, this is cool. Um, it speaks of God's heart for all the nations. We're going we're gonna to look at Psalm 67, uh, which we've put on the screen, but if I want to encourage you, open your Bibles and keep your... Th- Keep it open to that, because we're going to be referring to it, or if you've got it on your phone. All right. Would you stand with me and let's read Psalm 67 together? God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. You may be seated. The Psalms, these are, uh, these, this is Israel's hymn book, right? Uh, it's been used for centuries, even down to the present day. Uh, this psalm likely was composed by, by a priest, a part of a temple worship in ancient Israel. It may have been done responsively with that refrain in there. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is poetry. 
And sometimes poetry is a little hard to analyze. Where's Nancy Hull? I know you've taught that for years, right? <laughs> Your English teachers have tried to teach you poetry. I didn't get it really well. But because you know, it's an engineering brain, right? Um, it's like a piece of music, even like, like a fugue. You have, you have various themes uh, interwoven, various ideas playing off of each other. And in this short psalm, there are some themes that emerge, and it leaves us with an overall impression that first, God has a heart to bless his people. And secondly, God has a heart to bless the nations. Right? And those are the two things I want to pursue together this morning. First of all, God has a heart to bless his people. Um, the theme of blessing is woven throughout the psalm. Uh, the word there is used, it's actually used three times in, in seven verses there. And it's, it's a, it serves as bookends also, verses 1 and verse 7. The psalm speaks of blessing. So that, that's a clue. This, that's one of the major themes of the psalm. Blessing. There is a great back, biblical background to blessing in the scriptures. Right? We go, go back to Abraham and that first covenant God made with him. Genesis 12. God says, I will make of you, Abraham, I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you catch the theme there? Blessing. This is, God's, this is at the heart of God's plan for redemption. It's to bless people, to bless the nations. Don't forget this. It's, it's really the bedrock of God's plan. And it progresses, this theme of blessing, throughout the Old Testament. The stream of blessing will flow from Abraham through his descendants to the nations. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, renamed Israel. God forms a nation from him, from his, from his descendants. And he makes a unique covenant with this nation under the leadership of Moses, calling them a kingdom of priests, his, his treasured possession. If they will walk in God's ways, keeping his covenant, they will be blessed. Early in Israel's history, there's, a, there's, there's a, the account in, in Numbers where the priests, the, the, the priests are called to, to put a blessing on the nation, to put God's name on the nation and to bless them. And you know these words, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Numbers 624. You've heard that before, yes? The theme of blessing. You look at our text, look at verse 1, the words of the benediction there. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Oh, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? God's face shining upon us. God be gracious to us. Grace, unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor in the eyes of God, such that he turns his face and shines upon and smiles upon us. Not a sneer, not a frown, but a smile. He shines his face upon us. The author of the psalm, as I said, likely a priest, he's taken that Aaronic benediction and turned it into a prayer. God be gracious to us. And then he turns around and he turns it outward. He makes it a missional prayer. Verse 2, he says that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. This is cause and effect, right? That God will, God's blessing on his people is intended then to bring 
to, to have the, the nations take notice of God's acts. In Israel's history, that certainly was true. The nations witnessed God's dealings with his people. Think of the Exodus, right? The plagues on Egypt, the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, the wanderings in the wilderness, then the conquest of the promised land. All the nations, they, were, they had a front row seat to what God was doing with his people. And so the intention of God is that the nations would see God's dealings with his people and they would be drawn to God himself for their ultimate good. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Think of this psalm being read in the temple in Jerusalem. Probably at, at the Feast of Ingathering, the Feast of the Harvest. The people have experienced the blessings of God through the harvest. And they've come to gather at one of these great festivals. Thousands of people at the temple in Jerusalem. And perhaps the priests are reading from the books of Moses. Rehearsing the great, God, great acts of God with his people. Perhaps they're telling about the Exodus. Or the conquest of the promised land. How God had been faithful to his people. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 4, that let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. Come on, you nations, sing for joy. Be glad in this great God because he is great. He is the judge to whom all will be held accountable. And he is the guide of all the nations, the sovereign ruler over all. So, so don't fret about the headlines that you read these days. Don't fret about stories of Iran and China and North Korea and all that's happening. God is in control of the nations. The seeming chaos in our world and even in our own lives and families, if we're honest, right? The seeming chaos, it's not because things are out of control. No, it's the result of the reign of the one who is in complete control. No matter how it looks to us at street level, right? The world, your world, your family, whatever, is not out of control. It is under careful rule for God's glory and for our good. So God is the judge and the sovereign guide of all the nations, we need to remember that. He is dealing redemptively in all of his actions that the world may know, that the, that the nations might be drawn to himself. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Now we come to verses 6 and 7. I'm going quickly here, so please stay with me. Uh, and I, I thought that this was sort of an appendage to the psalm when I first started studying it a bit. Uh, you know, it applies to an agrarian society. It's talking about harvest and all that stuff, right? Uh, but no, I think it's actually the climax and the main point of the psalm. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. I think it's a better translation. It says, the, the earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. 
as if to say to all the assembled worshipers there in the temple, God has answered. He's answered our prayers. He's been gracious to us. He's blessed us. He has caused his face to shine upon us to this very day. Look around. The harvest is plentiful. Such bounty is surely the result of God's blessing upon us. But why? Why has God blessed us? Because we were such good people? Because we uh, merited and deserved this blessing? No. Oh, oh, read the prophets. Read the prophets. Time and again, Israel has walked away from her heavenly lover and played the harlot with the gods, the false gods of surrounding nations. But the prayer was, God, be gracious to us and bless us. There is grace. God's purpose in his plan, verse 7, that all the ends of the earth may fear him. This is God's greater purpose in blessing his people. And I think it's Old Testament shorthand for missions. Right? That others may come to know and fear the Lord. And that's confirmed up in verse 2. It says that your way may be known on earth, your saving power, or literally salvation, may be known among all nations. Even though Israel had blown it many, many, many times, God is gracious. God remains faithful. And his purposes are unchanged. Brings us to point two, God's heart to bless the nations. The psalm is not confined to just Israel. Uh, God is not exclusively concerned just with his people, Israel. He is evidently concerned for all the nations. And this is a prayer for the whole world, this psalm. Israel's blessing is to result in blessing for all the people. If Israel has the light of God's face, back in verse 1, then the rest of the world cannot remain in darkness. Israel is just a seedbed of a great harvest yet to come. Maybe that's why harvest language is used here in the psalm. Israel has witnessed God's mighty acts, and so have the surrounding nations. As the other nations have seen God blessing his people, they are summoned to draw near to God themselves. And to join in this chorus of praises. So far, so good. But you gotta ask was this psalm fulfilled? It's beautiful poetry. And we say, Amen, Amen, Amen. But is it just sort of a beautiful fantasy? Did the nations surrounding Israel, did they actually acknowledge the God of Israel? Do we see, as we come through the Old Testament, do we see all the nations praising God as this psalm calls them to do? Well, history tells us no. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that it really, it ends with, with, with it's crying out for something more. Will this psalm ever find its fulfillment? Israel was carried off into exile for their disobedience and idolatry. The temple in Jerusalem destroyed. 
what happened. Israel had failed to be a, a light to the nations. But God continued to speak through the prophets, and with repeated and lengthy calls for repentance and reform, there are also promises given of a new age to come. The prophet Isaiah speaks of this mysterious servant of the Lord figure, whom he says, I've called you to be a light to the nations. So there is a note of great hope in the prophets. Something better is coming. Someone is coming who will fulfill all that Israel failed to do. And this one comes with a mission and with a message to the nations. So, put on your gospel glasses. I tell these to the pastors in India all the time because they, they, they haven't understood how to read the Old Testament. I say, put on your gospel glasses when you read it. Right? How does this psalm anticipate and point us to the gospel, to the work of Jesus, and to the church age in which we live? Well, this is a missions conference. Or missions emphasis month, right? But you know, it's not about our mission, right? No, this is God's mission. It's not our own mission agendas, you know, whatever we've got planned and whatever, whatever you're supporting as missionaries. No, missions is not an appendage to church life, as we have a little parenthesis here. Oh, let's do missions this month. It's not an appendage. It's not just an extra line item in the church budget. God is on a rescue mission. It's the heartbeat of Scripture. A rescue mission to save all of His chosen ones out of every tribe and tongue and nation. That's why Jesus came. And And it's what we are about also. Jesus comes on his father's mission, sent from heaven, a missionary among us, announcing God's rule, God's kingdom rule over all the nations, and he commands repentance, turning from all the false gods, the idols of riches and comfort and pleasure, the idols of selfish agendas, and he tells people, seek first God's kingdom. And in his sacrificial death, He offers himself as our substitute for all the sin and rebellion of people of all nations. And the door then is open for any who will believe to approach the great king of the nations. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in Jesus. And through his death and resurrection, God opened the way for the universal worship of the nations to become a reality which in Israel's day it did not. The great theme of blessing that we've looked at. Oh, what does the Apostle Paul write? He says that that in you, that is in Christ Jesus, you have received every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1.3 In Christ, we are new creatures. We've received a new DNA. (laughs) The Abrahamic promise to be blessed and to be a blessing, it's a self-replicating gene in us as new creatures. We are transformed into those whose privilege and mission it is to pass it on to others. And in that great commission, Matthew 28, which you're all familiar with, 
right? Go, Jesus says, go into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations, right? I go back to verse 2 of our psalm. It says that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on people what, from all nations, in a kind of reversal of the Tower of Babel where the people scattered are now at Pentecost being gathered into one people, the people of God, out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. Oh, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And so it goes. Pentecost, an Ethiopian eunuch, a Roman centurion named Cornelius and his family, an Asian merchant woman named Lydia in Philippi, a Roman jailer in Philippi. And the message goes to Athens, to Corinth, to Rome, and to Spain. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Of the apostles, Thomas heads east to India, Andrew to Asia Minor, Philip to North Africa, Matthew to Persia, Bartholomew to Arabia, James to Syria, proclaiming the gospel, planting churches, making disciples, it's the ingathering of the nations. And it's the fulfillment of the promise the Father had made to the Son. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Psalm 2. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God's people have been on mission ever since. I'll spare you the statistics, but very briefly. Christianity is now the largest religion in the world. It started with those 12 disciples. It's now 2.4 billion. But that leaves another 5 billion plus who have not heard and have not believed. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers into your harvest. God is at work among the nations. I see, I see it firsthand as I go to India regularly. Um, I told you the stories, Pastor Vickelson, Pastor Daniel. I could tell you more and more stories. And my colleagues in ELI, Francois is going to Africa. Uh, we, we work in China, Southeast Asia, Latin America. And we see it here on the university campuses. God literally sending the nations to us. Over a million international students now in the U.S., God is at work among them. There are immigrants here in Atlanta. One in ten in the metro area, foreign-born. One in ten. Maybe your hairdresser, your pharmacist, your doctor. Do you ever talk to them about the Lord Jesus? Hmm. We are all friends. We are all on mission, whether it's across the street or across the ocean. My prayer is that this psalm will find fulfillment in our generation. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So the question, what is, what is your part in God's big story? Don't let this Missions Emphasis Month just sort of run like water off of a duck's back. Ask yourself, what's my part? And I put some questions in, in your bulletins there for you to reflect on. And if you're in a small group, 
I'd encourage you to talk about it. What's your role in God's big, big story? How might he want to be wanting to get you out of your comfort zone? Let's pray. God, we bow before you, King of the nations, Lord of lords, the blessed and only sovereign, before whom the nations are as but a drop in the bucket. We fall down before you. We thank you for your grace, Lord, that you have been gracious to us. You have blessed us in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you are at work among the nations, and you call us, Lord, to join your mission among the nations. So, Lord, speak to our hearts. Show us what part you'd have us to play as ambassadors for your kingdom among the people with whom we live and work and play and perhaps places you would send us that we might not even dream of. All for your sake, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Would you please stand and sing, O Christ, O Church, arise.